Well, hello and God bless you. Welcome to BlaineCouragesYou.com, where we are here with the word of the Lord to encourage you to stay on the wall for the Lord. My name is Blaine, and I certainly do count it a blessing and an honor to be here with you on this episode number 64 of our podcast. Well, BCU family, it is a new month and we're going back to an older topic, something that we put to the side a little bit, and that is our study on the book of Nehemiah. So yes, go ahead and take this opportunity to get your Bibles, your notebooks, something to write with, a snack, and settle on in. Blaine Encourages You is coming to you with our Nehemiah study, An Enemy Among Us. That's what's coming up next. All right, BCU family, so as promised, we are going to get back into our Nehemiah study series. So let me give you a synopsis of what we've covered so far. So in chapters one and two, we talked about overcoming people approval. In chapter three, we looked at all the folks that were working on the wall, and we also talked about the importance of gated living. There were 10 gates listed in chapter three that had some very serious spiritual significance. In chapter four, we covered what to do when you're attacked on your assignment, what to do when you get weary on your assignment, and how to get back on task. That is a lot of information we covered, everybody. And if you happen to miss any of those podcasts or those posts, not to worry, not to worry. If you're listening on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher Radio, you can just go ahead out into the main menu and take a look for the Nehemiah chapter series. If you are on the BlankCouragesYou.com site, go ahead and type in Nehemiah in the search bar Or you can go to series and studies and it should pop right up for you. So let's get ready to dig in to chapter five. So as we get into Nehemiah chapter five, let's go ahead and set the scene. So Nehemiah and his crew had survived the attacks of Samballot, Tobiah, the Ashdodites, the Ammonites, all of those folks in chapter four. Recall that in chapter four, these people came, that this posse, if you will, came to taunt Nehemiah and his work crew. They attacked the integrity of the work and if it was done correctly, if it would stand. They attacked their lives or they threatened their lives rather. They even made sure that there were some other Jews that overheard them saying that that the posse was coming after the workers and it put those workers to fear so much so that they felt, you know what, you know, we shouldn't be working on this wall. This, This is way too much. So the Lord gave Nehemiah the presence of mind to pray and to set up a watch. And he also encouraged them you know, to continue to fight for their sons and their daughters and their lands. You know, don't give up just now. We're going to set up a watch. Everyone's going to get weapons and we're going to work on the wall with one hand and we've got a weapon in the other hand in case somebody comes by (laughs) to try to bother us. We're going to take care of them. So once Nehemiah put that plan into place, 
they were able to get back to work and build the wall. So here we come up to chapter 5. So Nehemiah and his crew had already survived this great attack and they're back working again only to be confronted with another deadly enemy attack. And this enemy was right among them. Nehemiah chapter 5 verse 1. And there was a great cry of the people and their wives against their brethren, the Jews. Verse 2 says, For there were some that said, We, our sons, and our daughters are many. Therefore, we take up corn for them, that we may eat and live. Verse 3 says, There were some others that said, We have mortgaged our lands, vineyards, and houses that we might buy corn because of the dearth. And verse 4 says, There were some others that said, We have borrowed money for the king's tribute and that upon our lands and vineyards. And then verse number five says, And yet now our flesh is as of the flesh of our brethren. Our children are as their children. And lo, we bring into bondage our sons and our daughters to be servants. And some of our daughters are brought into bondage already. Neither is it in our power to redeem them. For other men have our lands and vineyards. So let's break down those first five verses. So in verse number one, you know, someone spoke up. It was a great cry, it says. So there was a great cry of the people. So folks started to speak up to Nehemiah against, again, uh, the Jews, their brother and the Jews. So one group of people said, you know, we, our sons and our daughters, you know, there are a lot of us here. We have borrowed for corn just to eat and survive. So those are the people in verse number two. The folks in verse three said, what we did over here, we mortgaged our lands, vineyards, and our houses that we might buy corn because of the dearth. So they had to take out a second mortgage or a mortgage, if you will, just to get corn to eat because of the dearth. That's another word for famine. So the food was scarce in the land. So the third situation in verse four says, you know, there were some others that they had to borrow against the king's tribute just to get corn. And in those days, that was a tax that the king imposed on the people. And the king was going to want his money. Okay, he was going to want his coins. And these folks were a little upset because they had to borrow against that just to be able to have food. This is nothing extravagant. This is not going anyplace or buying something that was not necessary. This was just day-to-day food. And then in verse 5, the observation was made by these folks that were crying out saying, you know what? You know, we're all family here. And if they weren't related by blood necessarily, they were related because of everything that they had gone through together. 
recall that the Jewish people had been in captivity for 70 years prior to being set free with the help of the Lord. And now here they are trying to rebuild the temple, rebuild the city, rebuild the walls around it. So we're family here. We're family. And this family, these family members, if you will, have brought our sons and daughters into bondage or we had to sell them because we need food. And now there's no way, verse 5, there's no way for us to get our sons and daughters back because we use our land as collateral. You know, it, it's all been sold for food. An enemy among us. All right, so let's see what Nehemiah had to say. So verse 6 says that Nehemiah was very angry. He says that I was very angry when I heard their, their cry and these words. So I want to stop here for just a moment and talk about anger because we often say that, you know, anger is, is not right and we shouldn't be angry and, you know, like we don't have that particular emotion. Now, we know that God made us in his own image and that he does give us these emotions for particular reasons. So it's not to say that we don't get angry, especially if there is an injustice that's happening uh, when we see things that are not going right. When someone, like in this case here with Nehemiah and his brethren, where someone is taking advantage of someone else, when someone is fleecing someone else, that there is what we like to call a righteous anger. So we get angry, BCU family. It's not that we can't get angry. It's how do we behave when we're angry? Is God still glorified? Are we walking in the spirit or are we walking in the flesh? So Nehemiah, I love how he conducted himself because he didn't get all incredible Hulk on the people. He didn't start cursing them in the name of the Lord. He didn't do that. He got angry, and again, he did not sin. He didn't let days, months, and years go by while he stewed about the anger either. He didn't let the sun go down on his wrath. And that's Ephesians 4.26. So that's something for us to aspire to and to make sure that we do with the help of the Lord. On top of that, and we're going to get into Nehemiah a little bit more in his reaction, but on top of him not sinning with his mouth he actually listened he heard and he empathized you'll notice in those first five verses that Nehemiah didn't say anything he let the people present their cases before him he also didn't dismiss their problem so that the wall project could continue he decided to deal with the matter straight on so as people of God when people are coming to us with a particular situation or a particular circumstance, it is our duty with the help of the Lord to listen carefully, to listen carefully, to listen prayerfully, and then respond. So that's what Nehemiah did. So verse number seven in Nehemiah chapter five says, then I consulted with myself. So Nehemiah thought it over. And he rebuked the nobles and the rulers. 
So again, these were the folks that had some sort of, of power, you know, within the circle of influence here. So these were the folks that were, were having these predatory lending practices. So he rebuked them and he said to them, you all, you are exacting usury or excessive interest, every one of his brother. And then Nehemiah says, I set a, a great, <laughs> a great assembly against them. So let's stop right here and let's, let's talk about uh, why an assembly. Ecclesiastes 3 and 7 says that there is a time to keep silent and a time to speak. So after thinking things over, Nehemiah decided that he needed to openly rebuke the leaders who were extorting money from their brethren. And not just rebuke them as in to say, you know, you all know that this is something that you shouldn't be doing. He also had to tell them why it was that what they were doing was wrong and how it hurt. It hurt people financially, yes, but more so the hearts of the people as this was family. You know, the scriptures tell us that we are supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves. And for, for loving our own selves, would we do what <laughs> these folks were doing to ourselves? Would we charge ourselves excessive interest? Would we, you know, would we want to sell our daughters and our sons just to be able to eat? Certainly not. So if you wouldn't do it, if you wouldn't like it, why would you do it to someone else? So this is why Nehemiah had to chat with them. So there needed to be a confrontation. You know, he set up this great assembly and there needed to be a confrontation. So let's just take a little bit of a side road and talk about confrontation. And how do we typically deal with having to confront, to some, confront someone? How do we deal with that? Typically, there are two reactions. We either fight or we flight. <laughs> so we either come out swinging, saying the wrong things, hurting someone's feelings, feeling guilty and ashamed afterwards and regretful for the words and actions that we said or did, or, you know, we sort of run away. And what I mean by that is that we'll stuff it down inside. We'll smile. So we'll look the part of a good Christian. You know, we'll just take one for the team or keep peace. Other times we might shop, eat, or silent treatment that confrontation. We might talk about it in our minds, you know, and or when we have quiet time, you know, we'll, we'll talk and have that conversation as if they were there. You know, we kind of go back and forth playing a role. Well, you know, if I say this, they say this. And if I say this, they say this. And um, it really doesn't accomplish anything. So whether you fight or take flight, think about it. In either of those cases, if we take those approaches, the situation doesn't get resolved. No, no, it does not. So what we have to do instead is to confront. 
And when we think about confrontation, we often think about probably a boxing ring and, you know, having a referee and <laughs> going 15 rounds back and forth with someone. And it doesn't have to be that way. It does not, especially when we are confronting the way that God instructs us to do so. So there's a template for us to follow in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. And the Cliff Notes version of that just says that when we are offended by someone, we talk to them one-on-one. If that doesn't work out, then we go back to them a second time and we bring two or three witnesses with us. And we want to, of course, choose people that have wisdom and discernment and understanding and compassion. Those are the people we want to bring with us. They may be able to help mediate the situation. So that's, that's number two. And then the third and final step, if you have to, and I pray it never comes to this, is that now if that person didn't receive you the first and second time, then you have to bring them before the church. And then the church has to get involved um, in the situation. So typically, if we go to someone one-on-one or, again, with those, those witnesses or mediators, if you will, that usually takes care of things. So we want to do that versus spouting off in social media. Yeah, and for those who are on social media or have read about it, (laughs) we've seen some subliminal attacks and we've seen some out and out just kind of cat fights. And that is not the way that God wants us to do things. So (laughs) along with following Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. So we know what to do. Now we have to ask God on how to do it, what our approach should be. So there are a few approaches that are are scripturally based. Let me give you the quick version of how folks approached people when they had to confront. So our first example comes from Galatians chapter 2, and it starts right around verse number 11. So Paul actually had to uh, talk to Peter face-to-face, okay, one-on-one about his behavior because what Paul, or I'm sorry, what Peter did was is that he at one point was eating his meals with the Gentiles, but when the men from Jerusalem arrived, he began to withdraw and separate himself from the Gentile believers. Now, everybody here is a believer, and there started this hypocrisy and this separation, and it started to affect, it started to affect the Gentile Christians. So Paul had to get that taken care of, and right away he had to nip that right in the bud. So the direct one-on-one approach. So in keeping in line with the direct approach, because that's always best, sometimes rather than come right out and say something to someone, we could tell a story. And what I mean by story is an illustration that brings a point home. Case in point, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 7. Now you've got to read uh, chapters 10 and 11 uh, to be able to understand what exactly happened to lead up to this point. But uh, let me go to chapter number 12 and tell you what happened here with Nathan and King David. So Nathan was a prophet and he came to David and told him a story 
about a rich man that had a very large number of flocks and herds and everything. And there was a poor man who had nothing except for this one little female lamb, which he nourished and loved, his family loved. You know, they grew up together. He really just loved this lamb. So one day the rich man had a visitor coming from out of town or what have you. And rather than take a lamb from his own herd or flock, which he had plenty of, he went and he took the poor man's one lamb. Yes. So upon hearing the story, David is now livid. And he is issuing out all sorts of punishment and saying, this man should die. And Nathan came to him or Nathan finally said to him, you know what? You are that man. And that happened in verse number seven. So, you know, our approach depends on what God tells us to do. This is why it is so critical that we are in tune with the spirit of God prior to confrontation. Amen. Amen. So listen, BCU family, there is a lot more that we are going to discuss, all right? Because this situation with the rulers and the nobles, this was a public situation and it needed to be handled publicly. So we're going to talk about one more example the next time that we're together and then get into the rest of Nehemiah chapter 5. So what I'd like to know from all of you is with everything that we've covered here, what is your takeaway? That's our question of the cast or question of the podcast. What are you taking away? So if you would kindly go on over to that comment section at blaincouragesyou.com, let us know what your takeaway is and let's keep the discussion going. All right. And as a reminder, BCU family, if you are new here and have not subscribed to BlinkCouragesYou.com, this is a good day to do so. It's free and it is a good place to get encouragement, inspiration and information based on the word of God. In addition, you can also see what we're doing on the daily. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And now we are also on YouTube with the word of the week, all under the name, Blend Courages You. And as a reminder, you can also listen in on the podcast on Stitcher Radio, Google Play, iTunes, and SoundCloud. So you can get to us pretty much anywhere on the internet. So as we get ready to wrap up, I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much for stopping by and listening into the podcast or reading through the post. Until the next time we're together, may God bless you. May he keep you and make his face to shine upon you and give you peace as you stay on the wall. We'll see you next time.